As mentioned earlier, we are uh, celebrating Advent all month, four weeks of Advent. Those of you, anybody have a, like, a liturgical background where you come from a church that's a, a few of you do? So some of you may have realized, no one's called me out yet, but I flipped the first two weeks. Typically you would do uh, hope first and peace second, and I reversed that order. So you may have noticed that. I'm acknowledging that. But uh, I just take creative license. You can do what you want, right? It's my church. I can do what I want. Uh, so this morning we will be looking at our uh, second Advent word, Hope and talking about hope today. Uh, I am. Um, I'm not a big. I read a lot, but but I I'm not a poetry guy. I don't read a lot of poetry, but every once in a while, I come across something that it stirs you a little bit. You know, you you, you get touched by it. So, uh, I want to share a little bit of a, a one just one verse of a poem with you this morning by Emily Dickinson. But I want to, uh, to me, knowing the, the backstory of a poem or a poet helps me to really get a hold of the meaning of it, right? So I didn't know this about Emily Dickinson. I read the poem, and then I just Googled. I went to Wikipedia and looked up Emily Dickinson, and I, I learned some things I did not know. Um, we know her, I, at least I know of Emily Dickinson as a great poet. She's a great American poet, one of the greatest maybe poets of all time. During her lifetime, she was not known for that at all. She lived in the late 1800s and was known for two things, really. One, primarily being something of a recluse. Uh, Emily Dickinson suffered her whole life from depression, and she had that uh, anxiety, fear of going out and being around people. So she basically shut herself off from the world around her. Uh, the other thing she was known for, in, in kind of her quiet and her privacy, she had a beautiful garden. So she was known she would be out just working in her garden, caring for her garden all the time. And that's really what people knew about her. They, no one really knew that she was a writer or a poet at all. Um, after she passed away, which I believe was in the 1890s, uh, her youngest sister had a couple sisters, her youngest sister found some poems, took them to an editor. Uh, the editor liked them, but they were a little weird, a little off, so they rewrote them. He rewrote them and edited them and then released a book of her poetry, and it went nowhere. No one read it, no one liked it, so it just kind of died on the vine. And then in the 1950s, some 60 years after her death, some other editor uh, found out, they, they, they found a, all of her works, she had written during her lifetime 1,800 poems. And they got all these poems, and they decided, we're not going to edit them. We're going to release them just the way she wrote them. They released them, and of course, she became this famous poet. So I just thought it was interesting knowing a little bit of her life and, and, and what went on uh, when I read uh, this poem. So here you go. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. And sings the tune without the words. And never stops at all. I thought I'd get farther than that today. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a song in the heart of every human being. It's, 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 it's created by God. It's there in everyone. And it sings this song that never stops. Um, you know, there's something deep in our heart. Here's the thing. Life... Life has a way of trying to stop the song. Life has a way of trying to, to 
quiet the music, of trying to shut it down. A lot of stuff will come and try to steal that song from our hearts. But there's something deep in our hearts that continues to sing. And, and, and we continue to sing in the midst of knowing that something isn't right. How many of you ever had that thought? Something's missing. Something isn't right. Uh, I've had conversations with different people, and, and they, they, they don't really know how to describe it, but the, at the end of it, you come down to this. This isn't the life that we were supposed to be living. God, there's, there's supposed, it's supposed to be different than this, and yet this is what it is. And so the song continues. It, it's there. There's this, this bird, this song in our hearts that sings, but it's a song without words. And I love that. It's so precious. And I'll explain why I think it's precious as we go here a little bit. Uh, but the truth is this, that we cannot define it. That's, that's the reality of it. There's something in our hearts that says, I know there's more. I know there's more. I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. Um, our language, the English language is limited. Uh, and we we don't always have words to describe certain things. And we have no, no word in the English language to describe that feeling. There is a word in German that somewhat uh, captures it better. The word is sensucht in German. And what it means, it's an intense and indescribable yearning or longing for something that can't be clearly defined. It's that feeling in your heart that says, I know there's more. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like. I can't quite see it or grasp it, but I know it's out there. This was a concept that, uh, I don't know if, how many of you read C.S. Lewis. Uh, just, man, what a brilliant mind. But um, this is a concept that Lewis grasped and wrote about a lot. In a lot of his writings, C.S. Lewis talked about this longing. In his classic work, Mere Christianity, he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There's something I'm longing for that's bigger than what I know, and I don't know what that is, but I know it's out there. In the, uh, his fiction, the works, The Chronicles of Narnia, he describes it in a narrative, I, and you should read those. Read them to your kids, read them to your grandkids, just read them yourself if you feel comfortable doing that. I used to sit and watch Sesame Street with my kids, and then sometimes they'd leave. <laughs> I'd still be sitting there watching. Donna walks in, what are you doing? Just watching Sesame Street. <laughs> it's, okay, let me just say there, this is... Uh, now look what I've done. Sorry, <laughs> you tried. Uh, this is near... Uh, the end, the, the little group is going to see Aslan the lion, who is a king. He's representative of Jesus. And they're going into his, into his country, and they're coming to see him. And this is what happens. It still seemed to be early in the morning, and freshness was in the air. They kept on stopping to look around and to look behind them, partly because it was so beautiful, but partly also because there was something about it which they could not understand. Peter said, Lucy... Where is this, do you suppose? I don't know, said the high king. It reminds me of somewhere, but I can't give it a name. Could it be somewhere we stayed for a holiday when we were very, very small? It would have to have been a jolly good holiday, said Eustace. I bet there isn't a country like this anywhere in our world. Look at the colors. You couldn't get a blue like the blue on those mountains in our world. 
Lucy said they're different. They have more colors on them and they look further away than I remembered. And they're more, they're more, oh, I don't know. More like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. They're more like the real thing. Regardless of uh, what life holds, there's a song in our hearts. And uh, it keeps on singing. So we're going to look at that this morning. Our, our text is from the Gospel of Luke. I want to just pray and then we'll, we'll look at the text together and get into it. That was just an intro there. Jesus, thanks so much for your word and your goodness. Thanks for the hope in our hearts. That song that we sing that never ends, Lord, would you define it? Would you give it words? In your name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 2, one of my favorite characters in Scripture. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms And he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I alluded to it in my prayer, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline now so you can follow with me as we go. But the reason the song has no words is that God defines the song along the way. We don't determine the lyrics. He puts the song on our hearts and we sing and then he provides the lyrics. Simeon is an interesting uh, character study uh, in Scripture. All we know, everything we know about Simeon is contained in these few verses right here. Uh, He plays this fairly prominent role in the early life of Jesus and yet we really have no idea who he is. Who is this guy? Uh, We have no idea where he came from. We have no idea what happens to him after this. We never hear from him again. I assume he just went off and died somewhere, but I don't know that. We don't know. Uh, We we don't know much about him. Uh, He's in the temple that day, but the Holy Spirit sent him there. He's not a priest. It's not his job to be at the temple. He went at the beckoning of the Spirit. The only thing that we really know about Simeon, and I believe this is significant in terms of a conversation on hope, is that Simeon waited. Simeon was a man who waited. Specifically, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That might not mean anything to us. It meant something to them. Uh, The consolation of Israel was a a, a term, a phrase for a specific thing. Israel had been under the rule of, of pagan nations for 600 years. So the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. The Roman Empire was... I, we, we talk a lot, and we read Scripture, and, we, and you know, Babylon is kind of the synonym for evil and bad. But ultimately, really, the Roman Empire was the worst of those successive uh, empires. Under Caesar Augustus, the Romans were really on a bloodthirsty quest for world domination. Uh, they, they, they wanted to control everyone and everything and were willing to basically just take out anybody who got in their way. Um, not long after the death of Jesus, in the 80s and 90s, 
not like eight, 1980s and 90s, like the 80s and 90s. Uh, the, the Roman Empire spread out over 5 million square kilometers. If you took a map of the Roman Empire and you overlaid it with a map of the, of the modern world, it would be over 40 countries that were covered by the Roman Empire. And this quest for domination uh, was an assault against the faith of Israel, who were God's chosen people. They were but one little, little spot, one little place in the midst of this massive empire. And yet, in their hearts, they knew they were God's chosen people. And yet, for 600 years, they suffered under uh, these pagan regimes that squelched their faith and controlled their faith. At the time that Jesus was born, though, there was... Um, Something stirring. There was something in the air. There was this sense, this feeling, this awareness that something was going to happen. There really was hope that was beginning to be stirred in the hearts of people. And among those people was Simeon. And, and Simeon waited patiently upon the Lord. And then one day, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Think about it. Waiting, 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 waiting. Then you hear, today's the day. Today's the day. Now. Go now. I don't know about you, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I usually don't get trumpets and fanfare and an audible voice of God. I know some people do, but usually it's a little tiny whisper. Today's the day. I want you to go to the temple now because today's the day. And he went. Now, realize this, okay? No one expected a baby. The consolation of Israel, what were they looking for? They were looking for a king. They were looking for someone like David. Remember David? Saul slayed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. They were looking for a brave warrior, a mighty warrior. They were looking for somebody who would overthrow this massive, powerful Roman Empire and restore Israel to their proper place in uh, the world as God's chosen people. And through the door walks this blue-collar carpenter and his teenage bride carrying a baby. And Simeon sees it. Simeon sees salvation. I love that picture. He sees the constellation of Israel. And now, now, see, the song in his heart has a lyric. There's words to the song that he was singing. And here's the thing, and really this is the essence of hope, is the song was so much more than he'd hoped for. It didn't look like what was expected, but it was so much more. They're waiting for the consolation of Israel, but what does he say? This is not only for Israel, but this is for all nations. The whole world is going to be touched by the life of this child. That promise was threaded throughout the Old Testament. If you read it, it's very clear and, and, and we know that here, just our, our little motto, blessed to be a blessing from Genesis, all through the Old Testament was this notion that God's chosen people were chosen to declare His goodness and His grace to everyone. And yet at this point in time, they'd been under domination for so long, that had kind of been forgotten. And all Israel was really looking for at this point was their own salvation, their own Messiah, their own Savior, their own King, just somebody that would restore order and put them back in their position. But the Holy Spirit moves upon Simeon and he comes into the temple. He sees this baby and he sees it all. 
There's something here, I think, that uh, is often neglected when we talk about hope. Hope is waiting. Hope is waiting. In every artistic rendition of Simeon, and you can Google Simeon Jesus or Simeon Bible, whatever, you'll, about a thousand pictures pop up, and the, in every single one, every one, not any, none, he's always old. He's an old man. The text doesn't say that Simeon was an old man. All it says is it was a man in Israel. We don't know if he was old. We assume he was old because he had waited. The question is, how old was Simeon? How long had he waited? Did he wait for years? Did he wait for decades? How long had Simeon been waiting? Hope is waiting. There's an expectation and an anticipation in our hearts. There's a belief in a better future. But in order to maintain that belief, we have to be willing to wait. Right? I was... Uh, just thinking about this this week, um, a couple things hit me. I, I realized that as a people in general, as a culture, as a society, we don't wait very well. It takes four seconds for me to get all the information in the world about this topic on my computer, and I'm not liking that. Anybody? It's never as fast as we want it to be. Walk into Starbucks, there's 10 people in line. Crap. I'm going to have to wait for my coffee today. Not a year's time. I get special treatment. We don't like waiting. We don't wait very well. And I have to ask this question. In a culture where we don't see a lot of hope, could there be a relationship between the fact that we don't wait very well and a lack of hope? Just ask him. Hope is waiting. Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. We're trusting in confidence that He will meet us. That He will be there. We believe with all our hearts that He'll be there for us. He will meet us. But we can't define when or how. And that's the problem. We believe He will, but we don't know how long we're going to have to wait. And we don't know. Here's the other thing. Chances are good. It's not going to be the way that we thought it was going to be. Simeon waited. Israel waited. And what happened? The Messiah showed up, didn't he? the, The promise was good. Jesus came. But Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted, was He? Jesus was not what they were looking for. Again, they wanted a king... And they got a baby. When a king shows up, people bow down. When a king shows up, all of the other kings, the nobility, the the wealthy, the rich, the, the famous, the popular, show up to welcome the king. Who shows up to welcome Jesus? Shepherds. Yeah, I know. Okay, so there's the the wise men. We three kings of Orion are. Let's talk about those guys for a minute. Okay, first of all, they're foreigners, they're Gentiles, they're not even part of the nation of Israel. Second of all, they're astrologers. How did they get there? They followed a star. Astrology is forbidden under Old Testament law. So not only are they foreigners, but they broke the law to get to Jesus. 
The only king that showed up to see Jesus was Herod, and he wanted to kill him. All right? Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't even born in a home. I mean, Abraham Lincoln was born in a log cabin, right? But Jesus was literally born in a barn. It's interesting in our culture today, if someone is an uncultured, a crude person, have no manners, or kind of rude, whatever, we say, what were you born in a barn? Who do you know that was born in a barn? I can only think of one person, Jesus. He was literally born in a barn. Jesus was not the Savior they were looking for. They, they wanted a political power to come into place. Jesus, you, you never notice Jesus doesn't really care a whole lot about politics. Can I say that again? Can I have an amen? Jesus doesn't care a whole lot about politics. Thank you. They wanted somebody who would conquer their enemies, right? That's what they were looking for. What does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Oh, that's no fun. Jesus was not the song they were singing. They, they wanted someone who would uphold the law, befriend the religious right, and judge the sinners. So what does Jesus do? Uh, he, he distances himself from the religious right, frankly, breaks the law on, regular, on a regular basis, and he befriends the sinners. He, he goes and parties with the sinners. He, you know, this was not the Messiah they were looking for. They wanted somebody who would overthrow the mighty Roman Empire. What does Jesus do? He goes off and gets himself crucified. What kind of king is that? Let me say this. Israel thought they could define the song. And it's not our job to define the song. We don't write the lyrics. Jesus, God will put the song on our hearts and we sing the song, but we have to be willing to let God define it for us. You know, a year and a half ago or so, I don't know, it's longer than that now, but, you know, we found out that uh, Matt and Jordan were going to have a baby, and we were so excited. That was just something we prayed for in our family for a long time. Uh, and then we found out they were going to have one baby, they were going to have two babies. That was even more exciting. That was a fun day. And then we found out that one of these little babies was a boy and one was a girl. That was a really fun day. Four weeks after that, we found out that those babies were going to show up early way early. And that wasn't that fun of a day. That was a hard day. And when uh, Jordan and Holly and Johnny were in the delivery room, the doctor said, you need to prepare yourself for palliative care. Basically, that means these babies aren't going to live. He, gave, he held out no hope for them at all. And there's no way, I'll just tell you, you, there, you cannot prepare yourself. There's no way physically... Mentally, emotionally, or visually, you can prepare yourself to see a one-pound baby. It's beyond anything you can possibly comprehend. The baby would fit in the palm of my hand. Now, just for context, let me just say, my kids were born, they weighed 10 pounds. I mean, Ezra was walking and talking and ordering steak. I mean, they were huge, right? It was a toddler. And I see this tiny little frail thing that I could hold in the palm of my hand. Hundred days in the NICU, and every day I've shared before. You know, wake up in the morning, first prayer is not today, Lord, not today. The last prayer of the day was thank you, Lord, we made it another day. That was not the song 
that we thought we would sing. Can I just say that? That was not the song we thought we would sing. But I'll tell you this, a year later, you know, when I look into Cadence's blue eyes and she looks back and gives me that little smile, or Jackson takes off across the floor like a wild monkey. You grab him and you pick him up and he doesn't want to be stopped and he screams like a pterodactyl. I just go, yeah, I've heard pterodactyls. I'm reminded every time that we don't define the song. We don't define the song God does. And let me say, this, that's not an excuse for irresponsibility. We do have a role to play, okay? We do what we can do now, but we also remember that the ultimate hope of kingdom people is in Jesus and the return of Jesus and our life with Him, the establishment of His kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth and the restoration of all things. That's what our ultimate hope lies in. I've been working on this class that I want to teach here next year called Discovering the Kingdom. It's just a theology and practice of the kingdom. But the end of it, the last couple of weeks, we talk about that. I've been reading a lot about the new heaven and the new earth and what it will be like. And I'm telling you, it bends your mind to think about it. And it completely changes your perspective on everything. Pa- Paul puts it this way. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, whatever life has to offer today, whatever you're going through right now, and I know some of you, I know your stories, I know life's difficult, whatever you're going through right now, it is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Hey, and let me tell you this. I just, I'm going I'm to one-up Paul right now. Don't tell Not only are our present sufferings not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to come, let me tell you this, our best days aren't worth comparing to the glory that's going to come. As good as it gets, it's going to be better than that. He also says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has or can conceive the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. He is really reminding us that a day will come when... There will be no pain, no tears, no suffering, no mourning, no crying, no sickness, no death. There will be no evil, no war, no racism, no sexism. There will be no starvation, no violence, no human trafficking, no pollution. All the water will be clean and nobody will die from waterborne disease. Everything will be restored. All of creation will be made right. And, you know, I don't talk a lot about that. We don't... I don't think about it a lot because our focus here is very much on Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done now, today on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for that and we seek that and we want to walk that out. But sometimes I realize hope means being able to look forward and know what's yet to come. And to keep that song in our hearts, sometimes we have to think about that. How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? What is it going to look like? He just told us. Nobody knows. Can I give you three little words that will just revolutionize your Christian journey? Seriously. Write this down. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know this. It's beyond expectation. It's beyond anything we can possibly know. But right now, today, our job is to hold on to that hope, to sing that song, and to allow that hope to bring the joy and the love and the peace that goes with it into the present world around us. 
to live as kingdom people. Here, 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 here's the thing. Can I tell you? That's, that's what it means to be a prophetic church. Okay? It's not predicting the future. It's living life as a prophetic witness of the age to come. It's living like as a prophetic witness, living our lives today, following the belief of what God's one day going to do. John Wimber used to say, we borrow from tomorrow. But see, every time, every time we choose to live our lives in that way, we, we, we really are becoming a prophetic witness to the world around them, around us, of what God has in store for us. I've been reading, uh, NT, rereading N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope. If you've never read this, just um, come on. Uh, I'm going to just share one little quote from you today. I've got about 19 bookmarks in here, so I wrote this one on one of them. Uh, and N.T. Wright... I wish I could be as smart as these guys, man. It's just, um, oh, God. He says, um, every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of His creation every minute Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk. Every act of care, nurture, of comfort, of support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter for one's non-fellow creatures. Non-human creatures, I can't see anymore. Um, And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of Jesus honored and in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the creation that one day He will make. Every time we give cookies to people at the Christmas tree lighting, it's an expression of what God will one day do on this earth throughout. It's a good deal. I just say this, expect the unexpected. Okay, expect the unexpected. D- don't, don't provide the lyrics. Wait and hope with the understanding that we sing the song and God will give the words. Pray your prayers. Don't, believe, don't think you're going to know how God will answer them. Just know that He will. That's the truth. Here, and, and here's the deal in that. Let me, let me just be honest. Chances are good. It won't be what you expect, but it'll be even better. <laughs>